0: You're listening to Florida Capital Conversations, a podcast series brought to you by Holland and Knight's Tallahassee office. Each episode of this series will take a look at the many different aspects of state and local government through the lens of our experienced legal professionals. Our hosts, Nate Adams and Mia McCown, have a wide range of Florida governmental experience and offer a seat at the table to everyone who listens to these candid conversations.
1: Welcome to our Florida Capital Conversations podcast series. Today, our subject is the effect of Hurricane Ian on Florida's property and casualty insurance market. And our guest is Holland and Knight's Senior Policy Advisor, Beth Beccioli. My name is Nathan Adams. My co-host is Mia McAllen. We are so pleased that you have joined us today to consider another important issue associated with state government affecting the business community and our daily lives as Floridians. Let us begin today's podcast by sharing our sincere sympathy for all those adversely impacted by Hurricane Ian. Our prayers and thoughts are with you. We wish for you the fastest possible recovery. Let us also begin by thanking the first responders for answering the call to search, rescue, and begin to restore our fellow Floridians. Watching the convoys of National Guard, firemen, linemen, and police on our highways always moves me. Catastrophic events like Hurricane Ian are an important reason Floridians have insurance. Insurance has a lot to do with recovery and is on the mind of many across Florida right now. Beth, what can you tell us about the expected total cost of Hurricane Ian? Yeah,
2: thanks, Nate. Um, the initial estimates, uh, which came out, you know, very early on last week, sometime right after the storm hit, were in the range of 25 to 40 billion with a B. I frankly think that those are probably low estimates um, because there 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 just wasn't a lot of information at that point that those when those came out last week and. And we've seen all the destruction now, Um, obviously the death toll is rising. So I I think, and some experts are saying this could be the, the most, the costliest and deadliest storm for Florida. So I wouldn't be surprised if the numbers start approaching 50 billion.
0: Beth, when we are doing these, when they're doing these estimates for the total loss in the 20, 30 billion, what does that include? Does that include loss of business revenue, homes? What is factored into that number?
2: That's a great question, Mia. So in that number, um, they would include all losses. So you know, losses on your, on your home, uh, cars that were flooded that are a total loss. So losses on your auto insurance, uh, any business that had business interruption insurance or commercial property damage, it would also include those losses as well. So it's, it's meant to be a holistic number. Uh, these numbers that, that came out last week were from uh, a couple of the different rating agencies, I believe. AM Best and Fitch uh, ratings came out with those numbers. And like I said, it was so early on, it was immediately after the storm. So I think uh, what we're gonna find over time is those numbers are probably somewhat understated.
0: I know we talked with you before about you know, property insurance in Florida, and really talking about it in terms of what the legislature may do to help in that area. What is the current status of Florida property insurance industry? I know, again, based on our prior conversations, there have been a lot of companies that weren't writing insurance, um, property insurance in Florida, and the legislature was trying to address that. What, and then you add this on top of everything else, what what is your assessment of the current status of Florida property insurance?
2: Um, yeah, so so uh, uh, most people have probably read in the press that the property insurance industry in Florida is definitely in a state of crisis. Uh, just this year alone, we've had six domestic property insurers that have become insolvent and gone into receivership. On top of that, uh, there, are, there are several others that the Office of Insurance Regulation is closely monitoring on a monthly basis because their financial condition may not be as strong as, as uh, the regulators would like. And so um, it, wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be a surprise to anyone if there are some other insurers that as a result of Hurricane Ian uh, have also become uh, declared insolvent uh in the in the next few months
1: Beth did the legislative reforms that were put into place during the special session in may have they have they had a chance to kick in and they have they helped the insurance industry
2: yeah that's a great question so uh, in May of this year um uh, Governor DeSantis uh, called a a special session just to address property insurance because we were already seeing many insurers being declared insolvent. Uh, One of the big uh, reforms that came out of that special session was a new layer of reinsurance to be provided by the state, but which attaches at a level below where the Florida Hurricane Cat Fund attaches. And it was designed to help those insurers who were unable to procure enough reinsurance in the private market um, at those lower layers because many of the losses you know, uh, will fall in those layers. And of course, Hurricane Ian was such a, a severe storm, there will be losses in the higher layers as well. But it was important for that lower layer of reinsurance protection to be in place. And so that took effect immediately upon the governor's signature. Um, those insurers uh, had to either buy that layer, participate this year or next year um, and so I think what we'll see is those the smaller insurers will be greatly helped by that additional layer of reinsurance, especially after this hurricane.
0: What type of protections, Beth, are currently in place to help consumers recover from Hurricane Ian? I mean, they the individuals, you just see it on the TV and we're we're reading about it in all the papers individuals are really hurting and suffering as a result, especially down in southwest Florida. So what kind of protections are in place that are available to them?
2: Well, I, I would the first thing that I would like to speak about, and, and one of the most important things, is as of Monday, October 3rd, um, less than a week after the hurricane, uh, the Department of Financial Services has, has already set up what they call insurance villages um i believe there's there's at least one in lee county one in naples and and some of the other counties as well and this is physically a place where uh you have the regulators you have the insurance companies that come together they actually set up portable um offices under tents for insurance to just come they can walk in they can get in line and and they can actually file their claims right there on the spot And so that has been tremendously helpful, I think, for many consumers that, you know, are struggling to get back on their feet and need help right away. Just in the first day of reporting claims, there are over 200,000 insurance claims filed accounting for $1.6 billion in insured losses. So I would say this is tremendously helping consumers um, to get back on their feet
0: that's really a great idea, especially with folks not having power, some may not even having an internet connection, that they have a place to go where they can actually talk to a person and walk through that process. That's a great idea.
2: Additionally, um, FEMA, and I don't know if they've done this in years past, but but I noticed it seemed like it was uh, something maybe newer this year. FEMA has established a program where uh, consumers can get reimbursed, for uh, living expenses, let's say they're they're having to stay in a hotel because their house is destroyed, um, they can and and also for small property repairs, I believe that FEMA is giving grants out um, to folks uh, up to I, I think it's limited to uh, no more than seventy five thousand dollars, but but that is is a way to kind of get hands uh, get money in the hands of consumers very quickly. So that they don't have to wait for their insurance company to adjust their claim. You know, they'll have some money at least to survive on until, you know, their house can be repaired.
0: Beth, I wanted to go back to the, I guess you called them insurance villages. Is there some place that people down in Southwest Florida where they can go to locate either a website or a number to call where they can find where these villages are located? Yes, they can go on
2: the Department of Financial Services website. The, the web address is myfloridacfo.com and they can go to that website under the Division of Consumer Services. They're the ones who are manning and staffing these villages and, and I believe there's something on the website that shows the actual location.
1: So, Beth, how will Citizens Property Insurance Corporation fare through all of this? Uh, we know that, you know, as we've spoken the last time, the claim, uh, the number of, of policyholders has increased almost every year. What what can we expect um, will, will be the outcome for Citizens Property Insurance?
2: Yeah, no, you're right. right, right. This time in 2020, so September 30th, 2020, Citizens had only 500,000 insurance policies. Fast forward two years later to September 30th, 2022, citizens now have over a million policies. So they doubled in size in just two years. That is an indication that the the private market is in a sign of distress uh, because more and more people are having to resort to citizens for coverage. Citizens said, uh, that "Actually, I think it was the day after the storm that they currently have about six to seven billion dollars in surplus, and that's on top of the reserves that they already set aside to pay claims. So they're they're predicting and projecting that their claims alone could be around two billion dollars." And with six to 7 billion in surplus, they're, they're saying they will be just fine after paying all their claims, uh, which is definitely good news for us because um, you may recall uh, a month or so ago, uh, one of the rating agencies uh, called Demotech out of New Jersey, downgraded several of our property insurers. And when those insurers ratings are downgraded, Those are insurance policies, homeowners' policies that people have to buy if they have a mortgage on their property because their lender requires that their property be insured. Well, those mortgages are all backed by the federal government, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Those Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac do not accept low ratings of insurance companies' paper. And so when this rating agency downgraded our insurance, all of a sudden now, it made consumers have to scramble because now their lender won't accept the policy from their insurance company. So as part of uh, this, and this happened after the special session, but as a reaction to that, the regulators and Governor DeSantis decided that citizens would also serve as a reinsurer to those insurers who were downgraded. And because of making that reinsurance available to those insurers, now Fannie and Freddie can accept those policies issued by those downgraded insurers. So that was a critical piece in making sure that, you know, our housing market, our insurance market, our financial services markets did not all implode simply because insurance companies were downgraded. So on top of citizens paying $2 billion in their own insured claims, now they're going to be serving as a reinsurer to some of the uh, distressed insurers, but but they have indicated that they have the financial means uh, to to pay all of that.
1: Okay, well, I think a lot of Floridians also are beginning to ask themselves, "Hey, are we going to see our insurance rates go up uh, after this storm?" And what 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 do you think about that?
2: Well, I think one thing that that ensure that consumers can expect, and I think they're already being charged for this, because of the insolvencies we've had in the last year or so. Uh, if you look on your your uh, invoice from your insurance company, in addition to the premiums you're paying, you're also paying assessments. And there's there are a couple of assessments already on on your policy. For the Florida Insurance Guarantee Association because that's the entity that guarantees that your claims will be paid even if your insurance company becomes insolvent. And so in order to pay for all of those claims, they've levied assessments on all different types of insurance policies, not just residential property. So for sure, uh, we will continue to see those assessments um, because citizens has indicated that they're in a very strong financial position, uh, it's not likely that citizens will levy assessments for this storm, um, but of course, as, as we will see, uh, there will be some rate increases, I'm quite certain, as a result of Hurricane Ian, um, so that insurers can have, have enough funds to, to pay claims going forward.
0: Beth, do you think there will be a need for a specialist, special session to address any property insurance issues or things that are stemming from Hurricane Ian? Or do you think they'll wait until session and address any issues at that time?
2: Yeah, I think they're going to wait until March. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, unless there's, there's, there's always a the possibility something else could happen between now and then. But But my guess is that they're going to wait until the newly elected legislature is in place and seated and and let them uh, debate the issues. I do think that there will be a lot of discussion about property insurance in the session next year. Um, We're already worried about this action by Demotech, the rating agency. There's been talk about wanting to form a separate rating agency um, so that we don't have to rely on Demotech so heavily in Florida. So I think there'll be a lot of issues uh, that will be that will be in play come March.
0: Well, this has certainly been a long process and we just watching the hurricane come and then it's even longer with the aftermath. And so to Nate, I agree. Um, I hope that the Our our neighbors down in South Florida um, continue to get the support that they need. I know this is an extremely difficult time, and I hope that they're, in some way, if they're able to listen to a podcast and maybe didn't know about the insurance village and things like that, that um, we've been able to help them maybe direct them to some services in some small way.
2: If I could just add one more thing before we wrap up, because I think this is very important, especially as it relates to Hurricane Ian. We saw record storm surge in that hurricane, and the problem with that is that that's considered flood. And if you don't have flood insurance, and you didn't have really any wind damage to your house except for rising waters, then you're you may find that you're not going to recover all the money you need to repair your house if you were if you did not have flood insurance. Additionally, what I would like to say is. the the NFIP, the National Flood Insurance Program provides insurance, but only up to certain dollar amounts. And some of these homes, um, I'm quite certain, were quite expensive. And so even if they had federal flood insurance, it wouldn't be sufficient to cover all their losses. So I think one thing that everyone needs to do, uh, especially um, the Office of Insurance Regulation and the Department of Financial Services, is to educate consumers in a better way about the importance of flood insurance, even if you're not in a flood zone. Uh, Many people have it in the flood zone, but it may not be enough. And what we've seen now with this storm surge is it waters... It's not just our coastal counties that are affected by storm surge. I mean, this storm had so much rain and and storm surge that inland counties were very affected. You know, rivers start accumulating all that rain and then the rivers overflow and then there's another flood. So it's just so critical that consumers consider buying flood insurance, even if they're not in a coastal, coastal location.
0: That's so true. Um, My friends from high school, we were keeping track of each other. We had some that lived in Naples, some that lived in Tampa, West Palm Beach. But the one that had actually the most damage to their home, she was located in Orlando, and it was because her lake flooded and came all the way into her house, and she's inland. So, I mean, to your point, um, it had effects in areas where you didn't think there would be that type of damage.
2: Yes, and I I I don't know if your friend had flood insurance, but uh, hopefully she did. She and
0: did. she did. <laughs> In fact, one of my other friends sold her the flood insurance, so she had it. My other friend is a um, sells property insurance and flood insurance, and so she she has had us all covered.
2: That was probably the best decision your friend has ever made. I I agree.
1: All right. Well, thanks to uh, to Beth Beccioli uh, for these sobering and and informative comments um, on the effect of Hurricane Ian on Florida's property and casualty insurance market. Thanks to my co-host, Mia McCallan. Most of all, thanks to you for joining us today. Please plan to join us for our next Florida Capital Conversations podcast. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to Florida Capital Conversations. For more information on our Tallahassee office, please visit hklaw.com/tallahassee.